Thanks again for being at Grace. We're glad you're here and hope you're enjoying our service. We're, we're having a great time together. You see all these boxes? You've probably heard Operation Christmas Child. And just a reminder, this is the last Sunday. So if you have a box at home that's not quite done yet, you got to go finish that thing and get it here by 4 o'clock this afternoon or game over. All right, you're waiting for next year. So bring your boxes. We're, we're having a great time with that and how that impacts kids in other parts of the world and it's great stuff. Uh, of course, we've got Burger Bowl today happening. That means after this service, after third service, we will uh, feed everybody free hamburgers. And then for the men, those who want to participate, we're going to go over to the rec center just right across the park over here. And we are going to play some uh, flag football. And that starts between 1.15 and 1.30. So keep that in mind. We'll have a great time together. And also, as a church, we... We try to report back to you on, on how we're doing, and, and that's going to happen next week. We don't have business meetings here at Grace, but we do have an annual report with a ballot in it. That'll be available next Sunday. One of the big things that's happening as, as God continues to work through Grace is that a couple years ago, we had a church in Paulding, Ohio that we adopted, and they became a campus of Grace. Well, this next year, we have the same thing going on in Toledo. Uh, it's Trinity Grace Brethren Church is what, what it was. We are adopting them, and we will be relaunching them as our campus next year in Northwood, and we're excited about that. So that's one of the things happening. Again, uh, that's just being gifted to us as, as we sort of merge together and make another campus of Grace. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? Isn't that cool? I, I thought it was cool. I mean, because they clapped during first service, and I didn't even prompt them, so uh, I was really disappointed in the spiritual level in here, but uh, just saying. Also, one of the things besides Operation Christmas Child that we do this time of year is we do the You've Been Gifted cards. Remember those, right? They'll be available next Sunday as we wanted, uh, really, we want about Two, three thousand random acts of generosity in our community, and we use those You've Been Gifted cards to make that happen, and so we hope you're involved in that as well. We've been in a series called Genius Encounters with Jesus, and we've been learning about how people interacted with Jesus, that they were always shocked, amazed, uh, they were always surprised at what Jesus had to say. It's no different this time, but this time we're looking at a passage that really precedes the most well-known passage in all the Bible, which is John 3.16. Today we're going to talk about John 3.1 through 3.15 to set the context for that, but it brings up a term that gets thrown around today. It's interesting that this is the phrase that stuck to describe some Christians, and the, the phrase is, born again. You ever, what? comes to your mind when you hear somebody describe somebody else as a born-again Christian. Not just a Christian, a born-again Christian. It's interesting because in our media today, a little bit biased media, a lot of times they'll use this term born-again Christian, and, they're, and I think how they use it, it's like the lunatic fringe of Christianity, is kind of how that, that goes. And we're going to dive into that and figure out where that term came from, what it actually means. 
Because I think a lot of people hear that term and they believe that's about people who have gone through a deep, cathartic Jesus experience and then now have a very rigid moral structure. And when a lot of people hear that term, they think, well, that's for people who've done things that are so bad or who are so weak that they needed to be born again, to, to start all over and reset their entire life. And when people think that way, a lot of times they're thinking, I don't really fall into that category. I'm, I'm just a Christian. We're going to look at that. In John chapter 3, Jesus meets a man. He encounters a man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a wealthy uh, Pharisee. He's very religious, very moral. He's actually a part of the Sanhedrin, which is the supreme court in Israel of the time. And we know that, that he's not only influential, he's not only powerful, he's not only rich, he's not only very religious and very moral, he's also open-minded. Because when a lot of the Sanhedrin were, drew lines against Jesus, he shows up, albeit at night, to find out and talk to Jesus face to face. We don't know his exact motivation about that, but obviously he wanted to find out a little bit more about Jesus, maybe a little backroom politics, I don't know. But he comes to Jesus and he is confronted with this phrase that comes from the very lips of Jesus himself, you must be born again. I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 3. If you have your Bible or if you want to use one from the chair back in front of you, it's page 1060 or your mobile device, your phone, iPad, whatever you have. John 3, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Just before we, we take off here, basically Nicodemus interacts with Jesus. Jesus hits him with this term, you have to be born again. And then repeatedly Nicodemus is like, how? So what I want us to do as we're working through this passage today is I think we have three how questions that will be answered as we go through this. First, and all about this rebirth or born again, the new birth. First, how important is it? Second, how do we get it? How do we receive it? And third, how do we know we got it? That makes sense? That's what we're going to find out as we work through this passage. John 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Just in those first three verses, it's very interesting because Nicodemus comes, he has a polite address to Jesus. Hey, we know you are a teacher, you have to come from God or you wouldn't be able to do the things you do. And there could be an implied question there. There's either an implied question or Jesus cuts him off and either way, very abruptly, Jesus confronts Nicodemus saying that you, you must be born again. 
And he's very emphatic about that. And so here, Nicodemus, this makes no sense to him. He's at the top of society, influential, wealthy, part of the Supreme Court, open-minded, great guy, moral, very religious. And all the people of that day, and he's probably got some of his followers with him, and Jesus has some of his followers, because Jesus, when he says you, is, is talking in the plural. And as they're inter, interchanging here, as they're exchanging words, Jesus gets very confrontive and abruptly says, you must be born again. And this had to surprise Nicodemus because all the people are thinking, hey, if anybody can see the kingdom of God or if anybody belongs in the kingdom of God, it's Nicodemus. He's the most religious, moral guy around. He would be the guy. And Jesus confronts him with, you must be born again. And Jesus is getting to something here. And I think it's because of the way Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He says, we know you are a teacher basically from God, he's saying. And I think Jesus is pushing back on that a little bit. Say, You're seeing me as a teacher. That really isn't enough because when Jesus introduces this concept of born again, he's introducing a concept of radical change, not just tweaks in our life. It'd be like this. What if uh, we have some apple orchards in our area, few, or at least there's one outside of Clyde that I know of. What if you owned an apple orchard and you're getting a great crop of apples, but then one season you decided, I want peaches, not apples, I want peaches. And so in striving to get peaches, what are you going to do? I mean, you could go out and you could fertilize your orchard and what's going to happen? More apples, Right? Or you could prune your trees, and what's going to happen? If you do it right, more apples again. What would you have to do? What we know, you'd have to go out and uproot all the apple trees and replant your orchard with peach trees in order to get peaches. If, if, if you want the fruit, you need a different root. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is trying to show him and we'll see this all throughout this passage, that being born again is not merely reformational, it's actually transformational. Being born again, having God in our life, it changes our root. It changes the core of who we are, and we produce a different fruit. We can tell it shows up in our life. Maybe I'll say it that way. And he's telling Nicodemus, even with all your accomplishments, even with all your morality, even that if you're the most religious person in Israel, it's not enough. You must be born again. And Nicodemus just scratching his head on this one. But when Jesus uses the term, I know how our culture uses born again Christian at lunatic fringe. But when Jesus uses this term, he's saying, when he's... The term born-again Christian, that's a redundancy. There is no Christian unless you've been born again. You've just got to understand that. That's where Jesus is going, and that's the flow of this entire passage. Is it important? Could it be more important? Jesus says, you must be born again. No doubt about it. 
Another interesting thing, which has caused a little bit of confusion, is we know as we read this in the Greek, born again, the word again can actually be translated two different ways. It had two meanings. One is again, and one way of interpreting this word is from above. And scholars go at this, and it's okay. Either way you interpret this, it really means the same thing. But the reason that most copies of Scripture have again rather than born from above, and it is both ways depending on what Bible you're reading, is because Nicodemus takes it as being born again, born a second time. We know that by how he is talking with Jesus. So it's his response. But either way, we're going to find that the whole thrust of this passage is that Jesus is confronting Nicodemus that he has to be born a second time from above or through the Spirit who has come from above. So same meaning. Next question then is, how do we receive it? That's what Nicodemus is saying. How is it possible to be born again? And so he responds maybe the same way we would in verse 4. We see it. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus throws this term out, water and spirit, and scholars take that two different ways. Some people take that water is the physical birth and spirit is a spiritual birth. You can do that. It's okay. It doesn't really change the meaning, but there's no other time where, where we can see in the first century that they're taking born of water to represent a, spirit, a, a physical birth. So it's probably best to take this. Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus's comment on natural birth, but Jesus here is talking all about the spiritual birth. Probably the entire phrase is all about the spiritual birth. He's saying you have to be born again from above. That's what he is focusing, focusing in on. And so let me ask you, Nicodemus is like, how can we be born again? First of all, it's the whole childbirth thing. How many of you have been through childbirth? If you haven't, how'd you get here? Because I, mean, I think that's true of all of us. We've all been through childbirth. We just don't remember it, right? But, but we've been through it. And some of, some of the ladies in here have actually given birth to children, which is a whole other step. But how much did you contribute to your physical birth? What did you do to make that happen? I think you were just shoved out. I don't think you did anything. That, and, and we're just given life. We're just shoved out. We don't do any. We cry. We don't do anything. We, we just react. It's done for us. Well, what Jesus is saying is it's the same way with the spiritual birth. We don't do it. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He sees Jesus as a teacher. He's basically wondering if Jesus is claiming to be a prophet, the Messiah, who... And he comes, and Jesus says, you're seeing me as a teacher. You're wanting me to teach you how to do. But really, it's not something that you do to get the kingdom of God. It's something that you receive. Just like physical birth, it is a free gift that, that we 
receive. We have a hint of that earlier in John when he starts his gospel in the very first chapter. The whole theme of John really is put down for us in John 1.12. But if we look at John 1.12 and 1.13, here's what we read. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We don't earn it. We don't contribute to it. We're born physically. It's just a gift, and it's the exact same way spiritually. It's a gift that we cannot earn. We cannot merit. It's something provided to us if we respond to God. Now, Jesus' next words are very revealing here, beginning in verse 6. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not, where it, do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus drills down a little bit deeper in this, and he's, he's talking about being born again and how it shows up in our life. It's a free gift. And as he continues, uh, in, in verse 9 he says, and Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Another question. And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. That's the end of verse 15. And, he, and now when Jesus answers, it sounds a little cryptic to us. It would not have sounded as much that way to Nicodemus. As Jesus answers, he refers back to a story, and the story is in the Old Testament. And to set the context for that, it's after the Exodus while Israel is in the wilderness. Now, Nicodemus would have known this story very well because Nicodemus is Jewish. The Jewish people came from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. After Jacob, they were sold into slavery. Uh, Joseph, Joseph was, and then all the people went down, and they eventually all became slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then God raised up a leader, Moses, who delivered them out of that slavery and back into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Nicodemus knows that's his nation's history, and now he's living in Israel because of that. But during that time, if you'll remember, as Moses is leading his people out of Egypt, just like, just like the movie, they cross the Red Sea, they go to Mount Sinai, Moses receives the Ten Commandments, the law of God, and then they are heading to Canaan. They end up wandering for 40 years because of their rebellion. But as they're wandering, 
What, how are they being fed? How are they subsisting? Well, God miraculously brings manna. He basically feeds them from bread from, from heaven every day, daily provision of bread. He's taking care of them. But the people keep complaining, right? Typical, typical people. That's typical us. I got to tell you, you read through the Bible, if something irritates God, it's complaining. I mean, complaining, God's not into our complaining to him. And so they're doing this and they complain. It's actually recorded for us in Numbers chapter 21. I'll read a section to you. It says, the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water. We loathe this miserable food. What are they talking about? They're talking about manna, what they loved not very long ago. Bread from heaven tasted like honey. Now they're like, ah, this this stuff's bad. They're tired of it. Verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Because we have spoken against the Lord and you, intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who's bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, and he set it on the standard, and it came about that if, any, that if a serpent bit any man... When he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So you have this unusual snake story in the Old Testament. A little obscure. Let me fill in some blanks. First of all, how many of you, how many of you hate snakes? Yeah. And how many of snakes don't really bother you? Yeah, snakes don't really bother, bother me either, unless it's an unexpected snake. You know, there's something about that. I remember... Uh, one time when I was working as a, on an ambulance with an ambulance crew, and I, I came in for my shift, and there was a guy there washing one of the ambulances, and, and, this, and there were some guys standing around, a little unusual, but the guy says, hey, can you grab that bucket? And so I go to grab this overturned bucket, and I, I lift it up, and there is a huge snake under that thing, and I jump straight up. I don't know if you ever jump straight up when you see something like that right at your feet, but then you got to come down. So that can look kind of funny because you're, kind of, you're, you're doing the splits on the way down because you're trying not to land on the... It's one of those moments. And then we stood around for about 30 minutes as every guy came into shift going, grab that bucket. Hey, go get the, could you hand me that bucket? You know, it was great fun. Guys sh- popping right up into the air. But so, we don't like... Could you imagine? You're in the wilderness. There's like a million people, the Jewish people. So when they move through an area, it would just take up the whole area. be like the entire town of Fremont, half Sandusky County would just be the area that the people would take, and they're divided by tribes. They've been complaining against God. God takes that very seriously. And if you're sitting here going, wow, this does not sound like a story of something God would do. Well, then you don't understand the holiness and the judgment of God. God is holy and righteous, and he says sin will be judged, which is bad news for us. There's some good news, I'll tell you later. But while they're there, fiery serpents show up, and there's no place to jump. I mean, they jump somewhere, there's a good chance you're going to land somewhere else. I remember one time when I worked in the 
needed money, heard the place to earn it was an oil field to Texas way back when, and ended up in the panhandle, a town called Dumas, worked on natural gas pipeline there. We just drove these, we're just out in the middle of nowhere, driving around working on these natural gas pumping stations. And as we we're doing that, uh, we, we would run across big rattlesnakes. And one time we ran across, and I wanted a rattlesnake, rattlers, actually for my hat, a long story, but I wanted some rattlers. And so I jumped out of the truck, grabbed a shovel, which turned, in very, turned out to be very handy because I got after this snake, and it started freaking me out because this thing was mad. And it was like striking at me. And I was fending it off with the shovel and being like, bing, bing, bing. I couldn't wait to get back in that truck. Yeah, I, could you imagine snakes everywhere? Their bite is deadly. It's judgment of God. People get, this did not happen by accident. We are being judged by God for our attitude, for our complaining. They go to Moses, intercede, take the serpents away. Moses says, okay, I'll intercede. But God doesn't take the serpents away. God makes a way for serpent-bit people to be saved or rescued by making a, a bronze servant, putting it up on a pole and standing that up on a standard. And then people, if they looked at it with the belief that it would do that, then they were healed. Why not take away, why not take away the snakes? That would solve the problem. If God put them there, God could take them away because he's teaching us something. And Jesus is pointing this out to Nicodemus. You keep, you keep coming to me as a teacher because you want me to teach you what you should do, but, but it's, not, it's what you receive. I'm not a teacher primarily. I am your Savior. You have to look to me just like you did then. And he's talking about his death where he will be up on a pole on the cross and that when people come to him on the cross with belief that they will be saved. But the whole point is here, what's, what's the snakes? What's the snake bites representing? It's representing judgment for our sin. And rather than take the snakes away, basically God, he finds a way, he creates a way, makes a way for snake-bitten people to be saved. And that's exactly what he's done today because we're all guilty. And we all deserve judgment. We've all violated his commands. As I said last week, if you're a little foggy on that, Maybe you ought to read the Ten Commandments because there's not a person here, including me, that have kept half of them their entire life. We're all guilty, and God is perfectly righteous, and God says sin has to be judged. So God created a way by lifting up His own Son, Jesus, for snake-bitten people like me to be saved through Jesus Christ the Son. Now, Christ hasn't gone to Calvary yet, but he's making this point to Nicodemus that he needs a savior, not just a teacher. And so, as we think through this, the last question for us is, okay, if, if the way to be saved, if the way to be born again is through belief, this is what Jesus says. And by the way, when Jesus says belief, I mean, he's leading up to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. When he talks about belief, 
it's not just intellectual assent that something has happened or intellectual assent that Jesus lived. Every serious historian knows Jesus of Nazareth lived in the first century and changed the world. They may not believe He's God, but every serious historian knows that whether they're a Christian or not. That's not belief the way Jesus describes it. Jesus uses a word for belief that's really tied into trusting. It's faith. And so a lot of times when we describe belief and faith, it's really the same, it's the same word in the Greek. That the way, maybe a good way for us to describe it today is belief in Jesus or faith in Jesus is believing who Jesus is, the Son of God, and trusting that His death on the cross was sufficient to pay for your sins. But the only way you come into faith like that is acknowledging that Jesus is God, acknowledging that you have a God, and you'll only respond by, like that if you want God into your life to help you live it, to, that He's the boss. He gets to tell you what to do. He gets to tell you how you should live. Now, none of us do that perfectly, but when we try to live a moral life like Nicodemus was doing, the difference is when a Christian lives a moral life, they know that they're not earning heaven because we cannot earn heaven. The difference is, is that we're just, trying, we're just living God's way, trying to be moral, just out of gratitude for God having already saved us because we're already under judgment for our sin. We already deserve to die, all of us. And spiritual death is separation from God forever. That's what we all deserve but God made a way for us to be saved. Well, that brings us to the last question then. If that's the how, and that's the how that Jesus answers Nicodemus, it's through belief. Notice he talks about the wind. The wind comes, and it blows, and you can't see the wind. You can't see where it comes from. You can't see where it goes, but you can see its effects, right? If I, if I told you today, wow, there is a mighty wind coming through the auditorium, and you're going, okay, you can't see the wind. How do you know I'm wrong? Well, because if there was a mighty wind going through the auditorium, there'd be bulletins flying, right? Papers flying. Hair being messed up, flying in the wind. Clothes rippling, you know, just what we'd expect. You'd see the evidence of it. It's the same way with the Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. And when we're born again, when we're born the second time, it's a spiritual birth. We're born from above or through the Spirit who is from above. But here's my, here's my concern. Grace has grown to a, a large church. Last Sunday we had over 2,000 people here. Maybe, maybe this Sunday too. And no doubt there's three types of people in the room. There are some here saying, I'm not sure I get the whole Christianity thing, but I'm here to check it out. First of all, glad that you're here. Thanks for being here. We want you here. We want to help you in any way we can. Let us know if there's anything we can do for you. Thanks for being with us at Grace. Hope to see you next week. And then there's another group of people who, we're sinners, we get that. We're saved by grace, free gift, because we put our faith in Jesus, believing who He is, trusting in what he's done for us, but along with that becomes a desire to follow him, to do life his way. Not to earn anything, it's already done. 
just a, it's just a, a gratitude response. But then there's a third group of people. The third group is made up of people who would say that they're Christians, but they might choke a little bit on the born-again Christian because it sounds so radical. I don't know that I need that. The third group are people who would call themselves Christians, even born-again Christians. But there's been no change in your life. You see, Jesus is telling us that when we become a believer, that when we, when we are reborn through the Spirit, that our life will be transformed. And I know a lot of people here at Grace have been to churches different from ours, or maybe churches a lot like ours, but, and there's been some point in your life where you have walked an aisle or even prayed the sinner's prayer or signed a statement, maybe, of belief. But there's been no change in your life since then. How, how do you know? And if that's true of you, if you don't have that change, I, w- I would challenge you on this. That that should show, you should see the, if you can't see the Spirit, but you should see the effects of the Spirit in your life. It should show up. But Kevin, Kevin, I'm born again. I, I've done this. Good. I'm not downing any of that. Not downing it, all good stuff, but I'm saying if you don't see the fruit of being a believer in your life, well, what's that mean? Well, here's what I'm talking about. Since you've become a Christian, since you say you become a Christian, have you become more patient, more loving, less selfish, more joyful? These are the fruits of the Spirit, just some of them, that show up in your life when you become a Christian. But Kevin, I'm a born-again Christian. Then let me ask you this. How is it that you have received into your life the Spirit of the uh, omnipotent God of the universe and not one hair is blown out of place in your life. Being a Christian, being born again, that's the only kind of Christian there is according to Jesus, which shows up in our life. The Spirit being in Becoming Christian means when you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit of God comes in and lives inside. That's what they say, you know, asking God into your heart, receiving Jesus in your heart. That's the Spirit that comes into our life. Can't see the Spirit, but we should see the effects. And for some people, this happens real fast. I mean, some people, they're slow to change, but the change is still there. So here's what I'm asking you. Can you look back on your life and not only see the event, or you placed your faith in, in Jesus or believed in Jesus, but then since then, do you see the evidence, the fruit? 
Have you done things that normally you would never do? Have you, do you have the fruit of the Spirit that I described a minute ago? Is there change in your life? Now, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of their salvation. I'm just saying, if you say you're a Christian and you don't really like hanging around God's people, you don't really like reading or learning about God's Word, and, and the only time you pray is when you need something, In Paul's words, is examine yourself to see whether you're of the faith. That's what he wrote to the Corinthians. And I think we need to do the same thing. The amazing thing about it is we're not saved by what we do. It's a total gift, just like our first birth. We place our faith in Jesus. It's a total gift. God has to do it. That's what he's telling us in John 1. It's a God thing. It's not by the will of flesh, the will of man. It's by the will of God. But if it's true of you, over time, you should see the evidence of God being in your life. Let's stand together, and uh, we're going to close our service. If you'd like to talk to somebody about what I just talked about, uh, we'd be happy to meet you. I'll be in room one. Room one is that room right on the corner there. There's some double doors there that'll be open. You can swing in for just five seconds or five minutes or however long you want. But we need to nail this down. It's, it's good for all of us to reevaluate where we're at and what God's doing in our lives. Before I close in prayer, just one more thing. We're going to serve burgers. Uh, that's, that doesn't happen until, for you guys until after the third service starts. So you don't have to get in line now or anything. It's just going to be a longer wait for you. Just hang out. Everybody's going to come in for third. After our third service starts, that's when we're going to uh, serve you guys. And then after third, we'll serve them. And then whoever wants to participate, we'll head out and play old guys, young guys, flag football. Good luck. Anyway, let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And God, we recognize that, uh, that you are holy that you are our creator, that you are good, that you are righteous, that you've told us what's right and wrong, and you know we've all, we've all blown it, every single one of us. We've all rebelled against you. We've all done what you've declared we should not do. And because of that, we, and because of our sin being against you, which puts it in a whole other category, we all deserve punishment from you, separation from you, but because you love us, every one of us, you allowed Jesus to come and teach, but not primarily be a teacher. You allowed him to come as our Savior, and he voluntarily died on the cross for our sins. He bled out on the cross of Calvary, feeling everything we would feel, and he could have stopped it at any moment, Lord, but he stayed there and died for us to make a way for us to be reconciled to you. And any of us snake-bitten people, Lord, that come and, and look to the cross and believe in Jesus, we're given the gift of a second birth. God, we thank you for that. And Father, 
for the, our friends that are with us that they're not sure where they stand. They don't think they've done that. Lord, thanks for them being here, and we pray that you'd help them to understand and that you would keep drawing them to yourself because none of us can understand without you drawing us. Father, for those of us who are believers, we need to reevaluate our lives, and for those of us who have reevaluated, Lord, and maybe come up a little short, that help us deal with that and and probably that person knows if they've been here for a while how they can reset their life with you by just coming back to you new and afresh and asking for forgiveness god thanks for loving us thanks for grace community and what you're doing here and what you've done and what you will do in christ's name we pray amen thanks for being here grace hope to see you Next Sunday, also Wednesday, is a Thanksgiving service. Hope to see you then this Wednesday. Have a great day. You're dismissed.